Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. You're listening to week 43 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast, where we've gone out of our way to try and see almost all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you, the listener, doesn't have to. Uh, His name's David Long. And he is Craig Fields. I am indeed. Uh, David, how are you? Oh, Mr. Fields, I'm I'm very tired. It's been a long, long week, and we've been exceptionally busy, haven't we? Oh, we have. Um, We've been pumping out all sorts of episodes. A couple of Road to the Oscars have gone out recently, two episodes of Topical Talk, the Star Wars special, the complete saga review. So lots and lots of content going out, lots going on behind the scenes as we try and keep you, the lovely listener, entertained with lots of new and original com- uh, co- uh, content. Yeah, I mean, it is, it has been really hard, but it's been really, really fun doing it. And uh, yeah, it's just been really entertaining. And I hope everyone who's been listening to the show has been enjoying it as well, because that's what it's all about. Really. Yeah, and we will touch upon exactly what episodes have come out a bit more later in the show. Coffee Gate continues at work. Really? Yeah. Are they, are they deceiving you more? Well, my manager is now mixing the two coffees. So when he has a coffee, he mixes the caffeinated and the decaffeinated just to wind me up so I don't know which one's which. Well, that's a real shame. It is. I, I just need to take my own coffee in now. I think I've decided enough yeah. of their buffoonery. Well, I gave you a coffee machine. Oh, it's a wonderful coffee machine. It's collecting dust in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. Uh, you know I'm a bit of a technophobe. I, I, I'm not sure what to do with it. Mm, Plugging uh, it in might be a good start. That is a, that's one start that you can do with the coffee machine. Yeah, it's literally yeah. plugging it in, switching it, it on, looks filling it out with fancy. water. It's fairly fancy. But it's lovely and red, which uh, fits into my uh, red ensemble in my kitchen. I mean, that's your main concern. It's got to fit in with the stylistic yes. approach of your kitchen. Yeah, which has got lots of, Well, the whole flat actually has a, a red theme throughout. Mm, and you're currently drinking Red Bull. Yes, I am. Um, sponsored. After, sponsored by Red Bull. Yeah, I've, I've mixed it up. So normally it's Monster. Today it's Red Bull. We're keeping it, uh, keeping the listener on their toes. Keeping yourself highly stimulated. As always. As always. Um, trying to keep these introductions a bit more on topic these days. We're going to be talking uh, this week and further weeks uh, a bit more like film news. Um, one thing that came out recently that we were quite excited about was uh, DC's, I suppose, reboot of The Batman. Uh, Matt Reeves is directing and writing and he released a screen test with Robert Patterson in his full armour gear. Did you see it? Yes, I did. I saw it on film Twitter and film Twitter exploded. This is a film that my arms literally just went right up in the air. (laughs) I forget that people can't see me. I'm literally waving my arms around. Film Twitter was really, really excited uh, about this. Obviously, they're very excited for the for the film itself. And I've got to be honest, particularly on the back of seeing The Lighthouse, which we are reviewing on this week's show. Mm. I'm really excited about Robert Pattinson being in this film and playing Batman. Um, I know that I did criticise twilight on our second episode of topical talk the romance special if you haven't listened to it download it now little plug well not right now carry on listening to this episode yeah and then maybe download it afterwards cue it up um and i did give him a bit of stick for his one-dimensional character but i think that's the way he was directed in some way the way the character was written i think he's much more talented than he shows himself to be in twilight he was very very good in the in the light in the uh, lighthouse and we will get on to that but no i'm very excited for 
for this film. Yeah, me too. Um, interesting enough, though, there was an article that came out in the New York Times where Ben Affleck uh, talks about his decision to step away from the Batman uh, and that particular project. And um, it was surrounding issues to do with alcoholism. And we'll post the... Uh, New York Times article in the description. So if you want to have a little read of that, it's it's definitely a really interesting read. Um, I'm I'm not sure how this how that film would have turned out, but I'm really excited to see what Matt Reeves does with the character. Yeah, when's the film due to come out? Not sure. I mean, it's at the minute. It's just in uh, pre-production and screen testing. Twenty twenty one. I would imagine. And I'm pretty sure they've gone into some main production as well, but not the main 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 shoot. But it's going to be exciting, uh, and I really can't wait to 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 see that one. Um, but Coming up on this week's episode, um, we're going to be taking a look at, well, Birds of Prey or Harley Quinn Birds of Prey or Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One <laughs> Harley Quinn. That's too many names. Um, but it stars Margot, Margot Robbie and uh, a, a great ensemble of other yeah. actors and actresses. After that, we'll be taking a look at Robert Eggers' latest movie, The Lighthouse, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Tom Hanks, Matthew Reese, Chris Cooper and Susan Watson star in A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, which is directed by Marielle Heller. I'll then be going Han Solo for Underwater, directed by William Eubank, starring Christian Stewart. Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn, Bill Nye, and a whole host of other notable stars in the Jane Austen comedy adaptation of Emma. We'll then, uh, we'll then try, and I, I emphasize try and review Doolittle, written and directed by Stephen Gunn. This incarnation stars a large ensemble of talented actors and actresses, and once again, like Cats, none of them are capable of saving what is fundamentally a pretty awful movie. Yeah, enough said there. <laughs> I, will, I will save the rest of it for the review. Indeed. Uh, and then I'll be rounding the show off with my hand Solo review of Sonic the Hedgehog. Director Jeff Fowler brings to life the video game character, which stars Ben Schwartz, James Marsden and Jim Carrey. Uh, but without further ado, let's get on into the box office rundown. This is the Box Office Rundown. Brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Yes, that's right. It's the Box Office Rundown for the 14th of February to the 16th of February 2020. Uh, David, would you like to kickstart the the, uh, Box Office Rundown at number 10? Yes, at number 10, we have The Gentleman. It grossed £238,000 at the weekend. Its total gross to date is just over £11 million. Uh, Guy Ritchie directs this film. Uh, We both loved it. I thought it was a really refreshing, um, unique film and one that I would thoroughly recommend seeing in the cinema. And if you don't see it in the cinema, definitely see it when it comes out on DVD or Betamax or however you (laughs) like to watch your (laughs) films because it really was a... A wonderful, wonderful film. I think most people would just do a digital download these yeah, days. Yeah, I've started doing digital downloads. My, but oh my know, god, I'm no one, more DVDs for you. Well, I've got a lot of DVDs, but digital download. My one criticism of it is it does take a lot of space up on the iPhone. Yes, um, but that's what the cloud is all about. I'll, I'll just pump it up into the cloud. Because yeah. at the moment, I've got my films saved on my iPhone and my iPad. Well, it should be saved to your account, um, so you can delete them off 
as and when you want to watch them. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, there's right. a little bit of a technical tip there for our listeners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in at number nine, <laughs> we have Jumanji The Next Level. It's still in the box office. Uh, and it took at the weekend £378,790. Its total gross today is over £35 million. We both enjoyed this movie, felt that it was a bit of a middler film. Yeah. Um, it's definitely set up for another one. Um, it didn't really expand too much on what it did built upon in the first one. There was just some slightly different changes that are going on in there, which were nice, but maybe not enough changes. Yeah, it, w- it went to the next level, but it was that next level was just a platform for the third film. There's definitely going to yeah. be a third film, and it very much felt like a, a bridge between the first and the third one, if I'm honest. Uh, in at number eight, we have 365 DNI. This is a Polish film, uh, which we haven't seen, and unfortunately we won't be able to see. Uh, its weekend gross was £378,790. That is its total gross. Uh, if you have seen this film, please do drop us an email or a tweet. We'd love to read it a review out of it on the show but unfortunately we're not going to be able to see it but Craig what's above that at number 7 in at number 7 we have Bad Boys Faux Life uh, it took oh not again oh you... yes with the faux <laughs> uh, weekend gross was 842,000 and 39p, no, 39 pounds. Uh, its total gross <laughs> today was full, over 14 million pounds. Um, you liked this way more than I did. You, I think you liked the other films way more than I did. Mm. Um, it, it, it's not Michael Bay directing this one, but it still has some similarities to that. Better better executed, I think. Um, was entertaining and fun, but just not for me. But for you, definitely was way more worth it than, than what I was. Yeah, I, I look, I like I said, I had two guilty pleasures when it came to Michael Bay, Armageddon, mm. Pearl Harbor. It's now five. It's four, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, the first bad, the first two bad boys films were directed by Michael Bay. And I've got to be honest, I really quite enjoyed them. Mm. And I thought the third one was, was very enjoyable. And again, it does seem like it's setting it up for a fourth. So we will keep you updated about if there is going to be another film in that series. In at number six then, David. In at number six, we have Emma. Um, at the weekend, it grossed one million six hundred thirty-five thousand pounds seven hundred and hang on, I've got that all wrong. <laughs> one million six hundred thirty-five thousand seven hundred ninety-seven pounds was its weekend gross. That's its total gross because it's just come out, and we will be reviewing it on this week's show. I do apologise for my very poor understanding of mathematics. There. <laughs> In at number five, we have Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipa- Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. What a tongue twister. Um, we'll just call it Birds of Prey from now on, I think. Uh, that, took, <laughs> <laughs> that took, at the weekend, £1,773,024. Its total gross today is £5,820,000. £839. We should just stick to just summing it up into middle range monies. Um, But we're going to be reviewing that on this week's episode. We will indeed, Craig. Above that, at number four, we have 1917. At the weekend, it grossed just under £2 million. Its total gross is just under £40 million. Um, It didn't win Best Picture at the Oscars. We discussed that on Road to the Oscars, End of the Road. It is a film, I know Floss has seen it how many times now? Four. Four times. Floss was a huge fan. It's a film I must, must see again in IMAX. Um, This is a film, if you haven't yet seen it, you must see it in the cinema. It is a cinematic masterpiece, technically. Um, The cinematography from Roger Deakins is incredible. Um, The way it's shot, the direction from Sam Mendes is is brilliant. Um, A really amazing film and one that I would thoroughly recommend seeing on the biggest screen possible. Definitely. Um, It also has some great acting in there as well. And 
it is just brilliant. It really is. And as you say, biggest screen possible shot for IMAX. So definitely see if you can see it in IMAX. It's still playing in IMAX in most cinemas. So definitely go and check that out. In at number three, we have Doolittle. Uh, it took over £2 million at the weekend. Its total gross to date is just over £8 million. Um, We're going to be reviewing that on this week's episode. Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> above that at number two, we have Parasite. Its weekend gross was £2.5 million. Total gross to date is just over £5 million. Very interesting numbers there, Craig. Um, done quite well this weekend. It's gone to number two at the box office. I think a lot of people are seeing it on the back of its uh, Academy Award win. But if you look at the total gross, its total gross is £5 million. Um, just just un, just over five million pounds, whereas obviously nineteen seventeen has taken thirty nine million. So a massive difference at the box office between those two films. One of the main reasons for that is because it won Best Picture. It uh, it's now increased the number of screens and cinemas that it's in. Um, but interesting enough, I have the figures here for the number of cinemas that it's actually playing in for that weekend box office, and it was playing in uh, just over four hundred and twenty five sites. Mm. Which compared to the next film that we're going to be talking about, which is going to be Sonic, that's been in six hundred and nineteen. So it makes a difference yeah. the number of sites that it's been in. But I think since it won Best Picture, um, it the number of sites has increased since yeah, then. So we might see. see that at number one next week. Yeah, that would be great to see. Uh, so Craig, what is top of the... I'm, I am baffled with this, but Craig, what is number one in this week's box office? Well, number one is in fact Sonic the Hedgehog. It took at the weekend four, fa- four thousand, four, over four million pounds, well, over four and a half million pounds, and its total gross is the same. Um, it came out over the weekend, so it was Friday the 14th that that came out. Um, and I saw that on Saturday with a large group of uh, guys. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about it on this week's episode. Um, but I can see why it's there. I mean, it's the half term as well. Yeah. yeah um, right. And it was the weekend that it came out. It has its target audience. And I think that will have a big part to play, whether it's there next week will reign to be seen. Yeah. Well, it's done well at its box office and it's over its opening weekend. So they've succeeded on that front. Uh, so, David, would you like to do the box of us rundown from 10 to 1? I will. At 10, we have The Gentleman. 9, Jumanji, The Next Level. 8, 365, DNI. 7, Bad Boys for Life. 6, Emma. At number 5, we have Birds of Prey and the fab- Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. 4, 1917. 3, Doolittle. At number 2, Parasite. And at the top of the pile, we have Sonic the Hedgehog. So it's now time for our first review on this week's episode and it's Birds of Prey or Harley Quinn Birds of Prey or Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation <laughs> of One Harley Quinn. Uh, what is this film about? Well, the synopsis reads, uh, have you ever heard the one about the cop, the songbird, the psycho and the mafia princess? Well, Birds of Prey is a twisted tale told by Harley herself as only Harley can tell it. When Gotham's most nefariously narcissistic villain Roman and his zealous right hand put a target on a young girl named Cass, the city is turned upside down looking for her. Harley, Huntress, Black Canary and Rene Matoya's paths collide and the unlikely foursome have no choice but to team up to take down Roman. Let's take a little listen to a clip from this movie. I want to kill you because without the Joker around, I can. 
all your noise and bluster. You're just a, a silly little girl with no one around to protect her. Whoa, wait. What? Don't kill me. Ha, right. No, 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 seriously. Romy, Romy. Come on, there's gonna be something, <laughs> something we can figure out. Hey. Wait, wait, you lost something, right? You lost something, I heard you say it. A diamond. I can help you find it. Seriously. I know the East End better than anybody. You want this diamond back? I'm your gal. So that was a clip from Birds of Prey. We're just going to refer to it as Birds of Prey now. I think that will keep it much more simple. Where are we going to start? Well, I'll start with my fabulous or fantabulous Rotten Tomato <laughs> scores. Um, the critics give it a very solid 78% and the audience give it a very solid 79%. And what I like about this film, it starts with a great animated sequence that brings the viewer fully up to speed with the story um, that is about to unfold. Yes, the opening cartoon sequence is a continuation of a Harley Quinn story from where we left her off previously. And it was very fun and entertaining in this cartoon kind of way. Uh, it sets the mood for the film, I think. And it's uh, told from the point of view of, of course, from uh, Harley Quinn. Uh, she breaks the fourth wall multiple times throughout this movie, which is, again, reinforcing that fact that it's coming from her and that it's this unreliable narrator throughout the whole film. Um you know, moving slightly onto the cinematography, I guess. Um, again, it's that comic book feel throughout, yeah. and the use of color is is most notably very vivid. Um, and I really do love certain scenes. David, there was one scene in particular that you really liked as well. Yeah, so Harley makes her broke up break up with the Joker official with a very public and loud gesture. And when I say public and loud, I really do mean that. She blows up what 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 was it called, Craig? The Ace Chemicals. Ace Chemical Factory. And it's really vivid and vibrant and in your face and incredibly public. The whole of Gotham is gonna have seen this um statement. And I believe it's where Harley Quinn and the Joker first met. So it's basically her saying a big F you to the Joker making their breakup official but the problem with this is is that now Harley Quinn is no longer with Gotham's most feared crime lord um, loads of people start coming out of the woodwork and when I say loads I mean loads loads of people who want to hurt her want to harm her and ultimately want to kill her and that's it's almost to get their revenge on her isn't it to get their revenge and we have these fabulous flashbacks showing um, so when these people pop out of the woodwork that are trying to harm her we have these flashbacks um, showing showing uh, what she did to them and the reason why, and it comes up with uh, written on the screen as well. Um, and what this does mean is that the narrative and the plot development is very erratic, but this really suits Harley Quinn's character. She's a m- number of times throughout the film, she's like, oh yeah, and let me take you back to this, and oh, let me tell you about this. And it feels really erratic. You feel a bit like a rag doll in a washing machine, but that suits the unreliable narrator, and it also really suits Harley Quinn's very erratic and unstable character. Yeah, I mean, the one of the reasons why all these guys are coming after her is because they know now that this is a big breakup between Harley yeah. and the Joker. And they know now that they she, she doesn't have the protect, protection of the Joker, who is obviously absolutely crazy and would mm. do anything to protect her yeah but now that they know that they're separated it's all kicking off um and that scene was just explosive entertaining mm. bold colorful and it again a real insight into harley's mindset yeah absolutely because it was so colorful in nature even the explosions yes it's chemicals that are exploding but it's it's that one step further of how she's describing it in, in a yeah. way it's like um, the world's best firework display yeah <laughs> 
Um, there was another scene as well that I thought that was really good. It was the scene where she breaks into the police department uh, and goes on a rampage trying to break out Cass, the young yeah. girl that has uh, accidentally or on purpose swallowed the diamond that uh, our bad guy Roman, played by mm. Ewan McGregor, is after. Um, and she breaks in with this grenade launcher that seems to fire like bags of paint and glitter. It's like glitter cannons and canisters of smoke. And it, again, it's really vibrant and colourful and just really great fun. Like that scene is one of my favourite scenes in the film. And what I like about this film is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, probably epitomised by the fact that um, Harley has a pet hyena. Um, which I think really fits in well with the overall synopsis. It just shows you what kind of movie this is. And actually that pet hyenas, um, everyone loves dogs and she treats it like a dog and it pulls you in actually, makes you show that she does have that um, caring side to her and that she is hurting from the Joker and she almost replaces the Joker with a pet hyena as she needs some companionship in her life. Yeah. Um, You know, another part about that uh, police department uh, a scene as well is just that you never really know whether or not Harley Quinn is actually firing bullets or is it actually these these bags of sand because in her in her mind she's not actually inflicting real damage yeah you know is it her unstable mental ability mm. to perceive what's actually going on it's very ambiguous isn't it it is it's very ambiguous and i really like that um so the, the director kathy yan she's not really known for many films uh, she started off in 2013 directing a few shorts um and then in 2018 was a, a feature debut film uh, called dead pigs it had eight wins at various different um festivals um and it had nine nominations and it did very very well um and it's not available on streaming services but you can rent it so if mm. you wouldn't to get to know kathy yan a bit more uh if you enjoyed uh, harley quinn then definitely look out for dead pigs um it's supposed to be really 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 good but yeah yeah, and the acting in this film as well. I thought Margot Robbie um, was fantastic reprising her role as Harley Quinn. I thought she was really, really great. She brought this really mentally unstable but very diverse and dynamic character. Her character was very much like an onion and there was lots of la- layers to it. And the whole female cast, obviously we've got a female uh, director, um, you know, the main characters other than Ewan McGregor are females. And I just found it a really empowering movie, obviously in a time where there's been the Me Too movement and um, questions about um, there not being enough female directors nominated at the Academy Awards. I just thought this was a really empowering piece of cinema and I just congratulate everyone involved in it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the other difference here is that the characters are all flawed as well. Yeah. Um, they're not just typical... Um, you know, superhero characters. Harley Quinn is a bit more of an anti-hero. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I thought Margot Robbie's performance was great. Um, she was born to play this role, yeah. without a doubt. She is. She embodies Harley Quinn. Um, and I feel like she's one of the main protagonists in this film that holds the film together. Mm. Um, th- there were weaknesses in this film in terms of plot and some character development. Um, I, most notably, the the other leading actresses within this film, uh, Rosie Perez, who plays Renee Montoya, who's the police department character. She is flawed, mm. but you don't see enough of that, I don't think. Um, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Helena uh, Bertinelli, uh, also called the Huntress. Mm. Um, so she's... Come back to have a, a bit of revenge on the people that uh, yeah. murdered her family. Mm. Um, that is a little bit of a spoiler there, I guess. But I'm I'm hoping most people have seen this film by now and just want to get our view on it. If not, 
I apologise. Um, <laughs> but I felt that her role was kind of understated. There was uh, there was some flashbacks with Harley Quinn describing what happened to her, to mm. us. But I almost felt like I wanted to hear it from the Huntress herself. Mm. I, I, it's almost a whole separate film to get that that backstory and, yeah. and whatnot. But it, it would have been nice to have got a bit more from her. Um, and yeah, it could have quite easily had a, its own film um, and a, a much more grittier film mm. uh, but the performance nonetheless from mary elizabeth winstead was great um she is a brilliant actress she was in scott pilgrim versus the world one of my favorite films directed by edgar wright um but yeah i mean uh, the rest of them were good mm. um the woman who played black canary uh i can't pronounce her name because i'm rubbish at names can you pronounce Journey it smollett bell there you go uh, she was great she was really good and I, I did feel like she had some great scenes in there uh, alongside ewan mcgregor again just wanted to see a bit more of that Mm. It just, it didn't, it, it, I know it's a film about Harley Quinn, but they called this Birds of Prey to begin with. Yeah. Which gives you a sense that this is a, a, a team up kind of yeah, film. Yeah, it's, it's more than just Harley Quinn. Yeah, and you kind of felt like they missed a beat there by not getting them together sooner. Sooner, yeah. I, I mean, the ending, the end scene uh, where they do have to team up and come together was brilliant. And you just kind of wanted that sooner rather than later. Yeah, and that was set in an old sort of deserted theme park, wasn't it? And it had the real feel of a of very comic book feel, but almost like the feel of like a, a, like a ghost train or something, something out of that kind of theme park, very over the top and in your face and yeah. really very, in terms of the production design, very visually, very satisfying. Well, again, in terms of that cinematography and that, that look and lighting and that feel, it looked very reminiscent of the Batman games, uh, most notably the Arkham Asylum games, uh, which were brilliant, um, you know, really, really fantastic games. And it did have that kind of video game-esque kind of yeah, cinematography. Yeah, I totally agree with that point. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was absolutely brilliant. Um, Ewan McGregor then, should we have a little chat about him? Yeah, I thought Ewan McGregor's character was absolutely fantastic. So like you said, what I thought he did was bring a much-needed bad guy role to this movie because mm. um, whilst Harley Quinn isn't necessarily a, and I'm doing bunny quote ears here, a good character, she is the anti-hero and we are cheering her on. And Ewan McGregor plays this really slippery, slimy sort of flamboyant and slightly camp bad guy. And I just thought he was brilliant. We heard from the clip there that he is, he's very, very brutal and harsh. And actually earlier in the film, we see him quite brutally murder a a couple of people. And he has a a, a very interesting and horrific technique of killing people, which I won't say because it is a bit of a spoiler, but he, he was brilliant. And I thought he brought a real new dynamic to the film and that much needed bad guy. The good thing is one of the criticisms of Joker, the film was that we had, we didn't have the opposing force and in comic book films, you often need that opposing force. And what Mm. we did have here was that opposing force. And I thought it worked very well. The difference here is that this is almost a continuation of suicide squad, Mm. but not, um, it's picking up the same character in terms of Harley Quinn. Um, but the Joker that went alongside this Harley Quinn's character that affected her, Jared Leto's uh, version, um, you know, is is no longer available to us. He will not be reprising that role. And I can't see Joaquin Phoenix's Joker coming into this DC universe no. uh, that they've got here, this extended universe that they've now built upon. It's it, it's a mess. The DC universe or the DC extended universe is just a mess. And yes, it would be great if Joaquin Phoenix's Joker would sort of pull ties here with this one, but it's never going to happen. Especially mm. since it was made very much so as a standalone movie, um, and in, in some sense that's a shame. 
but at the same time, it's it's not. This this movie works on its own, mm. but it is tied to that extended universe where it originally came from. Yeah. Um, and how they push that going forward, I don't know. Um, I mean, you've got the new Batman film coming out that we spoke about earlier on, Matt Reeves directing Robert Patterson taking on the role of, of the Batman. And will this be connected in some way? Quite possibly, but you mm. can never really tell. You never know with DC, yeah. No, and uh, the new Wonder Woman film's coming out very soon, and that looks absolutely incredible. Again, they pulled her into that extended universe, but they are I think they're trying to pull her away from that. Um, so if you've watched the latest trailer for Wonder Woman, I think it's 86 or 89. I can't quite remember the title of that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's brilliant. Set in the 80s and, and vivid and, and beautiful. And the trailer looks amazing. Um, I'm just wondering how they might tie all of this together. And if they ever do attempt to do that, DC have a habit of just ruining that extended universe. And it is a real shame. I know Ranjit was really bummed out about that because mm. he's a huge DC comic book fan. It's not like Marvel at all where they have the pre-planning um, yeah. and you get a sense that whether or not they've taken this movie on as just a way, a way of trying to make money. And if we talk about money, it, it didn't do very well in the box office on its first week and that's why the title of this movie has changed three times basically mm. because they felt that people didn't know what this movie was about and if it was anything to do with Harley Quinn because... Nobody listened to the end part of that title, you know, Birds yeah. of Prey, uh, Harley Quinn and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn or whatever mm. it is. Um, I, I always remember when I saw the poster and when I saw the trailers thinking, what actually is this film called? Because on the poster, the, the, the way it's actually written isn't mm. particularly clear. No. So it was quite difficult to read. And I call it the Shawshank Redemption Syndrome, um, yeah. which obviously did very, very badly at the box office on the back of its name. And um, before we conclude, Craig, I think we've got an email that we potentially could read out. Uh, potentially. Uh, let me have a little looksies. Thank you for reminding me about that. Uh, it was from Pete, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Let's have a look. Yes, there it is. Uh, so, hi, Craig and David. It's been a while, but I thought I'd drop you an email to give you uh, my view of Birds of Prey and Emma. We'll read the Emma bit a bit later on. Uh, as a DC fan, I was looking forward to Birds of Prey, mainly because I enjoyed Suicide Squad uh, and was looking forward to the continued character development of Harley Quinn and the DC Universe. Although there were some funny parts, I came out feeling somewhat disappointed. Although the narration was good, the film felt like it was trying to be a cross between a Guy Ritchie movie and a Deadpool movie, and it did neither mm. the characters were given were not given enough time to develop and were thrown together in the end for a final fight and although it was a good it was good in staging uh, by being at the fun fair giving the nod to joker and harley quinn this pin, uh, pinnacle ended up being too short uh, so again i am left frustrated by a dc film believing this could have had so much more now if this was uh, is the beginning of more to come i may change my mind but with dc's track record of not knowing where they are going and rebooting i suspect mm. uh, this will be it um hitting the nail on the head there yeah. Pete. um i'm surprised that he enjoyed suicide squad because i really didn't yeah um i thought it was a really terrible um anti-hero mashup in some respects um and jared leto's joker was just a bit of a joke really in that yeah no pun intended there but um <laughs> it wasn't good um, and I felt this was much better. I felt mm. like they developed Harley Quinn's character much better. But like I said earlier on, there were some for, uh, shortfalls of the other characters not having enough screen time or developing properly. But again, this is the unreliable narrator because it is all from the point of view of Harley Quinn. So it would be interesting to see where they go with this. Mm. Um, but 
again, as uh, Pete says there, the track record from DC is is pretty poor. So, uh, yeah, we suspect that it's not going to go anywhere yeah. anytime soon, really. No, um, I've, sp- I've spoke to Pete in person and, you know, we, you think about the MCU universe hmm. and what they what they have is a vision and they've laid out, obviously, a collection of films and they know where they're going with it. And even if every single film in that broad range of movies isn't one that you necessarily really enjoy, hmm. it does fit into that wider cinematic universe and it works, whereas DC seems to have this unclear plan and vision and they seem to be wandering around a bit although i thought joker was sensational they have got they seem to have less clear of a vision i think that email sums that up very nicely yeah um i mean to summarize my thoughts here before we say whether i think it's worth going to see this is a troubled movie in mm. some respect and mainly that because of its uh birth and because of its nature in being tied to the DC universe um, and the extended universe if it was doing something different like the Joker or Joker it may have a better chance yeah. of, of being a slightly better movie um, and not having that those, those connections uh, it is just a real shame that the plot is somewhat uh, all over the place if it was a little bit more connected it might have worked a bit cohesive, better cohesive yeah yeah a bit more cohesive um, but anyway yeah David your final thoughts on it or I'm ready for the question. You're ready for the question. Okay, well, David, Birds of Prey, is it worth it? Yes, look, I actually do think this is worth seeing, and I think it's definitely worth seeing in the cinema. It's got violence, it's got humour, it's got tension, and a real eye-popping coloration to it. Um, And also, I think the set pieces, the the action sequences, work really, really well. Mm. I think they're very, very well done. And I just found it a really... It is slightly flawed, but overall a really enjoyable cinema-going experience. Um, I went in not expecting it to be great. I'm not saying it was great, but it certainly wasn't bad. And it's one that I would thoroughly recommend seeing on the biggest screen possible. Yeah, I agree with you with everything you pretty much said there. I think it's worth going to see. Um, It's one of the better DC comic book films. It's not up there with the first Wonder Woman film by any stretch of the the imagination, Um, but it was still entertaining, good fun, and bold, vivid, and and very, very colourful. So that was our review of Birds of Prey. Indeed it was. So our second review on this week's episode is The Lighthouse. And The Lighthouse is many things. It's a drama, a horror, a comedy, and even perhaps a science fiction fantasy. Uh, It's a hypnotic and hallucinatory tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. And one thing this film is not is dull. (laughs) That's Uh, absolutely right, yeah. yeah. Should we take a little listen to a clip? Yes. You don't like me cooking? Oh, don't be such an old bitch! You're drunk. You don't know what you're talking. How can I possibly like the horse you fix us for supper? You're drunk. I, you won't be saying that. In the kitchen shanty cooks. Oh, it was drunk. five going with three you're times drunk. a day. You're Country drunk. hand bigger you're than your drunk. Home. I'm drunk. I'm you heard me. <laughs> be drunk. Damn ye. Drunk since I first laid eyes on you. You're fond of me lobster, ain't you? Drunken in a Virginia fence. I seen it. You're fond of me, lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't have to say nothing. Damn you! Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow. Oh!
Triton! Hark! Bellow! Bid our father, the Sea King, rise from the depths full, foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with punch and slime. To choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with builds and brine and can scream no more. Only when he, crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacle tail and steaming beard, take up his fell befinned arm. His coral tine trident screeches banshee like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet, bursting ye a bulging bladder no more. But a blasted bloody film now a nothing for the RPs and the souls of dead sailors to pick and claw and feed upon only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself. Forgotten to any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, Forgotten even to the sea. For any stuff or part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul, is Winslow no more, but is now itself the sea. All right, have it your way. I like to cook it. Wow. I know. It's a long, (laughs) long clip there, but we chose that one deliberately because it is a a really brilliant scene within the movie. It doesn't give too much away there, um, but it does give you a good sense of what the acting is like in this film. Mm. And you had Willem Dafoe and Robert Patterson there um, playing off each other. Um, We'll kick off at at David's favourite place with the Rotten Tomato scores. And I just wanted to give you a heads up. For those of you who are new to listening to the podcast, uh, what Rotten Tomatoes is and why we use it. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes is a website that aggregates all of the critic scores into one percentage and it does the same with the audience scores. So you can go on there as a user yourself and rate films as to when you see them, whether or not you, you liked it in terms of maybe five stars or if you didn't like it, one star. And uh, all of those verified ratings come together to give a, f- a final percentage. So for this movie, uh, the total count of critics uh, who have aggregated their scores in there is 347. And for audiences, it's 1,930. And that gives us a good sense whether or not uh, this, how good this movie is going to be or how poor it is and whether yeah. the audiences like it better than the critics. And it gives us a good starting point uh, as to giving you an idea whether this movie is worth it. Yeah, so David, whether it's certified fresh or not, yeah. Exactly. So David, with The Lighthouse, where do we begin with those then? So the critics give it a brilliant 90%, so it's obviously certified very, very fresh, and the audience give it a very solid 72% score. So you can see from, from what these Rotten Tomatoes scores show you, shows you is that the critics like this film, it's quite a certified fresh film, but... Critically, it's 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 really, really been very well received. It has. Um, my opinion of the film, before we get into the, 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 the main crux of this review, is that I was, didn't think that the audience score was going to be that high. Neither did I. This isn't, gonna, this isn't a film that everybody's going to love. It's, it's, a really, it's a difficult one to get into. Um, 
but that is this very similar with what uh, previous films Robert Eggers has done. Um, so just going on with the back of that, uh, Robert Eggers has actually co-wrote this uh, screenplay with his brother Max Eggers. And Robert Eggers is previously and most notably known for The Witch, which came out in 2015, which is another supernatural sort of period horror film. And it was his directorial debut for a feature movie. It also stars Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, who's actually the star of Emma, which we'll be reviewing later on in this episode. Um, unfortunately, this film, The Witch, isn't available to stream uh, from any of the streaming service, but services, but you can rent it uh, from most of the digital download places, uh, the cheapest being on YouTube in standard definition. Otherwise, if you want HD, you're looking at around five ninety nine, which is... Not too bad for a really, really, really yeah. amazing film. And I I would just say that Mark Commode, who you said is a bit of a horror, well, he's a film buff in general, but a horror film buff, said mm. that this was one of the most harrowing, disturbing, and one of his favourite horror films ever. Uh, I heard that recently fr- from himself. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out The Witch. Uh, but back to The Lighthouse. Well... The Lighthouse, uh, let's talk about plot a little bit. Well, The Lighthouse plays on many themes, but in its most basic premise, it follows Robert Patterson and Willem Dafoe, uh, who um, are lighthouse keepers. Robert Patterson's character is in training and he's come to the island in New England to sort of learn from Willem Dafoe's character. Uh, during the course of the film, they call it a wiki. Obviously, that's old maritime talk for yeah. a lighthouse keeper. Um, and yeah... Yeah, I mean, for me, Craig, this is just an incredible piece of filmmaking that will make make you feel a real range of emotions, whilst at the same time, it also does make you question what the hell you're actually watching. It's one of the most bizarre films I've seen since doing this podcast, and I think you get a sense of that bizarreness from that clip, which is Willem Dafoe going on this incredible monologue, basically on the back of being told that his wiki doesn't like his lobster. Um, and there is comedy in here as well. Um, it's the kind of film though that captivates you and horrifies you um it really intrigues you but it also scares you um there's a mixture of you being desperate for it to end because it's such an uncomfortable viewing experience but also at the same time you're hoping it will continue um it's a very challenging watch and you really do feel at times like you are stranded on the island with these two characters and i think that's where the film really hits the nail on the head is that feeling of claustrophobia and being stranded on the island with yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, with the confined spaces, it gives this dreary and nightmarish remoteness of setting, thrusting these two protagonists into this very melancholy state of madness and day and night seem to merge into unknown days and the black and white nature of the film really does just adds to that vintage 19th century assault on our senses. Yeah. Um, and the dialogue as well, David. Like I know you wanted to say a little bit about that, but can I go first? Or yeah, no, please. Yeah, do, so yeah. I mean, it's very. Uh, there's a lot of maritime sort of nature of speak in there, and it's juxtaposed with this very Shakespearean, like we heard from that that yeah. clip, and, and Coleridge feel as well. And, and speaking of Coleridge. Uh, there's definitely some nods in there to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And if you're not aware of what that poem is about or haven't read any Coleridge stuff, it's a maritime uh, poem that that plays on... um, If you've you've probably heard of the albatross around the neck. Yeah. Uh, Most people have. I won't say much more than that because it will probably give away some spoilers to this movie. But yeah, amazing dialogue. No, but what I like about this film is really at its heart, it's about a descent into madness, Mm. but it's also a a real mixture of myth and legend in there. And what makes this film effective, and 
plays out with the dialogue there is that reality and fantasy are mixed and you're not sure where one ends um, and the other begins uh, and time becomes so warped and you lose track of the days much like the men themselves and the the introduction of alcohol um, because Robert Pattinson's character doesn't drink for quite a majority of the film but once he starts to drink that mixture between reality and fantasy becomes even more difficult to to work out what is actually happening what's happening in their minds what what is actually going on here because it's yeah. it's it's all all hell is breaking loose and what time of the day is it or what day is it like you just don't know like you almost feel as lost as they are yeah. in the movie and it's done so so well um cinematography or did you want to carry on there with no, your No I was just going to say from the clip as well you heard that um foghorn that harrowing foghorn is is played throughout that. I just thought I'd do an impression <laughs> of a horn there, but that is just harrowing, and 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 it just seems to go on and on and on, and you're just not sure where one day um, ends and another begins. It's it's hypnotic, it's disorientating, and it's a real challenging view, but also a bizarre experience. But in terms of the cinematography, this was actually nominated for cinematography at the Academy Awards, and the the cinematography is just sensational the, the aspect ratio makes it a really claustrophobic claustrophobic viewing experience and i mean obviously i knew that the cinematography was going to be good you don't get an oscar nomination if mm. if you have bad cinematography obviously but i was blown away by the cinematography in this i thought it was it was i'm not going to say sensational because i always say you that we've said that three times already have i have you, I really? you actually oh, have. <laughs> oh no but this film is sensational yeah. but it was brilliant. The cinematography was really brilliant. Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, Eggers wanted to shoot this film in black and white um, and give you a real narrow vintage aspect ratio. Um, and it was shot on black and white in 35mm and it has this sort of orthochromatic aesthetic. Now, orthochromatic sort of means um, that you the film has the ability to see all visible light spectrums mm. apart from red. So when you go and... Um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Develop the film. Uh, you can use the red lights to be able to see what you're doing and it doesn't affect the tone yeah. of, of of the black and white image. Now, colours can affect the tone of black and white, so you can still increase the reds, which make things darker and whatnot. It can still do that, but it doesn't see red at all, um, which is uh, amazing because it really the frames are all amazingly done uh, and it just evokes this very 19th century feel of photography as well yeah like the imagery is very 19th century um and that and uh, the square aspect ratio or nearly square that is 119 to 1 i believe um that really corresponds corresponds with the um the narrow sets that they have um and not giving you too much information in terms of visual nature like you don't see everything around them um and it really com- gives you that sense of confinement as well mm. with, with with the cinematography which is just brilliant um the cinematographer uh jarmin uh Blaskank, i can't say that can right. you say it jarin blaisk yeah good one well done uh he previously collaborated with eggers on uh, the witch as well um and i think these two this, this duo are going to be work together for a long long time because they really work very very well together um you know the aesthetics and the lighting i mean the the kind of film that they were using needed to have some uh, HMI lights. So HMI are, are um, very powerful lights. They couldn't use natural lighting in this environment. It would have no. just been too dark. But they yeah. still managed to capture this eerie nature, even though they're using you know quite powerful lights to 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 
to put in there. Um, and the way those lights light up Willem Dafoe's face yeah. when he's giving that monologue. And that monologue that we played from that clip, I just think it was... I mean, we've listened back to it a couple of times. The more I listen to it, the more I get from it. Um, it was a very, very powerful moment in the film. And that's all because he didn't... Say you're fond of me, lobster! He just didn't like his lobster, and it just shows how dramatic and Shakespearean and... and brilliant this film is i know did you know that they actually uh, built a 70 foot uh working lighthouse specifically for this film uh i didn't i do now yeah (laughs) and apparently uh the 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 light would shine for around 16 miles wow it was visible for which is incredible yeah but little facts like that just make it worth worthwhile listening to the podcast i think brilliant little fact there craig thank you um, I'm going to sort of try and summarise this up now a little bit. I think yeah. I think with Robert Pattinson has sort of excelled himself in this movie, really em- embodying this character that he's he's portraying on screen, uh, and uh, he allows for the words from the script to just flow through himself so eloquently, uh, and the body language is just amazing. You know, to the, from the the repellent smell of Willem Dafoe's farts, and yes, that is a thing within this film. <laughs> Um, to the to the just the the, the dark humour within it is and it's a devastating tragedy that just unfolds for both of the characters. But both of them, even Willem Dafoe, I think he invites a career defining performance in this movie. Um, even though he's already got some amazing performances under his belt, um, for me this film is just brilliant. Yeah, I just reiterate what Craig said there. I think the acting in this film is just marvellous. Um, Willem Dafoe is brilliant, but Robert Pattinson as well. Um, I think that I, I would not disagree with you, but I would say that I think for Robert Pattinson, this is a career-defining performance. Mm. I think this is unlike anything he's done before. I think he's absolutely brilliant. The way that Dafoe and Pattinson hold your attention for, I'm not sure of the length of the running time of this film, but they hold your attention throughout the whole film. And yeah, it's just... When I came out of it, I was obviously awestruck by what I'd just seen, but I wasn't sure whether I liked it or I disliked it. Listening back to that clip, discussing it with you, I'm actually going to go and watch this film again. And films that I watch multiple times are normally films that I really enjoy, but I just feel there's so much meat on this bone. There's so much meat on this lobster oh, yeah. that I need to go back and just just be soaked in it again because it really is uh, an in- an incredible piece of filmmaking. There's a lot to take in, and I know Toby um, really loved this movie. Um, and a lot of the other guys on the team need to go and see it as well because they really want to see it. Um, but Toby definitely really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed it as well. Um, so let's get to the, the mm. crux of what we do here. David, The Lighthouse, is it worth it? Absolutely, yes. A word of warning. This is a very bizarre film, and this is something that you'll have not experienced before. But it's it's hypnotic, it's claustrophobic, it's powerful, it's got brilliant performances. Um, the cinematography is stunning. It's like nothing I've ever seen before in a cinema. 100% worth it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even need to repeat what you've just said. Um, regurgitate it in my own words because what you said hits the nail on the head this film is 100% worth going to see in the cinema so that was our review of The Lighthouse see you fun to me lobster come ye (laughs) (laughs) 
So our next review is A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood and this stars Tom Hanks who's portraying Mr. Rogers. Uh, it's a timely story of kindness triumphing over cynicism uh, and it's based on the true story of a real-life friendship between Fred Rogers and journalist Lloyd Vogel uh, after a jaded magazine writer uh, is assigned to profile Fred Rogers. He overcomes his scepticism, learning about empathy, kindness and decency from America's most beloved neighbor. Let's take a listen to a clip. And <clears throat> action. Do you know what this is? It's Lloyd. Lloyd. Hold, please. We can't fire him, can we? Hello, Lloyd. Oh, it's nice to meet you. What? Are you all right? Play at the plate. Oh, I see. That looks like it hurts. Uh, let's chat afterwards. We Maybe we could moving. have Evan take a, take a look at him. No, I'm I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm sorry, Fred. Yeah. It's me too. All right. All right. And, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to meet you. So glad you're here, Lloyd. I'm looking forward to to talking with you. I truly am. After this, everyone, th- th- this is Lloyd Vogel. He is a wonderful writer. So that was a clip from A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. And I think that really shows just the nature of Fred Rogers' character. So he's in the middle of shooting one of his episodes of A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. And Lloyd Vogel turns up to conduct this interview. And he just immediately drops everything that he's doing and goes straight over to him and shows him real kindness and care and is obviously concerned about the bruise that uh, Lloyd has on his face um, which he gets earlier in the film um, where do we start with this film well believe it or not I'm going to start with my beloved Rotten Tomato scores it gets a brilliant <laughs> 95% score from the critics and a very high 92% score from the audience so critics and audiences are both concurring that this is a very very good film indeed and what is this film well really it's a wonderfully beautiful heartfelt story Uh, And I think the first thing to say is that Oscar nominee Tom Hanks is brilliant as Mr. Rogers. And what's the film about? Well, fundamentally, it's a story of kindness triumphing over cynicism. Uh, And it looks at the true story of Fred Rogers and journalist Tom Junod. Um, And it's packed full of themes, Craig. The most... I've lost my ability to talk. <laughs> I will just come in a little bit here. So Tom mm. uh, Junod was the original, the real journalist's yes. name. Um, Lloyd Vogel is the name of the character uh, that plays yeah. uh, Tim, Tim, uh, Tom Junod in, in the movie. Um, but yeah, where were you going with that? No, I was just saying it's packed full of themes. The most two important themes I would say in the film are kindness and forgiveness. And, yeah. and that's what really Fred Ro- Rogers epitomises. Um, Rogers is a very kind, caring sensitive and wise character and tom hanks is just brilliant as playing mr rogers i mean he tom hanks is said to be the kindest and most wonderful man in hollywood Mm. and i I couldn't think of a better person to be playing fred rogers because as you heard from that clip he is just so decent and uh welcoming and loving and caring and he he epitomizes this film without a doubt and funny enough that this film however isn't about completely about Fred Rogers, despite the fact that this journalist is coming to write about him and do a piece on him for heroes. Um, But but Fred Rogers doesn't consider himself... No, he's very humble. Very humble indeed. And, uh, you know, as you go through the film, it's... 
it's all about Lloyd's struggle of coming to terms with um, a, a distant father and building upon relationships. And Mr. Rogers is, is simply there to almost show him the way. It's a lot about healing, isn't it? About healing a broken body, a broken soul. Um, and yeah, Fred Rogers is is that he's almost like a, a counsellor in many ways. He's just so humble and wise and everything he says. When Tom Hanks speaks in this film, you're literally hanging on his every word because what he says is just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, um, they don't show Red, Fred Rogers to be perfect. Now, no, nobody is perfect. No, and even course. Fred Rogers himself uh, or Tom Hanks in the film says that, um, you know, he, he struggled with his own children and, and uh, his fame and his children, how they handled that fame. They challenged him every day, but his ability to give back to other children and help them learn and speak directly to every single child, which is exactly what they say in the film, um, is just brilliant. And this, there's no wonder that people looked up to Fred Rogers um, and, and loved him. But I went into this film not knowing anything about Fred Rogers same, um, same and, as me. and never seeing A Beautiful Day in a Neighbourhood. It's obviously a very cherished American TV show, um, but one that I'd never heard of. And I'm so glad that this has been brought to my attention because mm. he was clearly a very wonderful man and and did a lot for a lot of children and, uh, and adults alike. And he became very good friends with with Tom Junod after this and it was clear and evident from uh the 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 film as well with with him becoming friends with Lloyd Vogel and there's there was a lot of very touching scenes in in this film and and there was one in particular that I know you spoke to me about when we left the cinema and it was about praying yeah and, and as a christian man yourself you said to me that it was a really beautiful scene yeah well fred rogers says that he prays for people individually uh, and there's this scene where he's swimming. Um, he takes a swim every morning. And whilst he's swimming, um, it's just over the top. There's his voice over of who he's praying for. And he just lists people individually. Um, and when you pray, it's very easy to, you know, pray, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray for world peace. Things like that, you know, ev- everyone occasionally says a, a, a little prayer here and there. But to pray for someone individually, to take time out of your busy day and to pray for people individually and what's going on in their lives is something really, really powerful. And as a believer and as a Christian myself, I found that really, really touching and just a really beautiful piece of cinema. Yeah, it, and you know, it's the struggles that uh, Lloyd Vogel has with his father and his his own child, and and trying to connect on that level. Fred Rogers is able to just convey. A, a real empathetic nature and and give Lloyd that ability to to empathize with others mm. um and especially his father so Jerry Vogel um who's played by Chris Cooper uh, also giving a a brilliant performance in this movie and it's a mm. movie full of fantastic performances uh, Matthew Reese who plays Lloyd Vogel is 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 absolutely I don't want to say the word sensational but he is brilliant in this mm. movie he really truly is um and you know, this this was a movie that took me by surprise without a yeah. doubt. So it's a film that obviously has great performances, but it's held together with a fantastic screenplay. Um, the script is really, really good, and it gives all of the actors involved lots of lots of themes and lots of stuff to work with. Um, the film isn't really about Mr. Rogers himself, but more about the amazing impact that he has on people. And there's a beautiful scene 
um, where he's traveling on a train with, with the journalist and a group of children just start singing the theme tune. And then before you know it, adults as well. And the whole train carriage is singing. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And what, Mr. Rogers does is he builds a sense of belonging and a sense of community. Mm. And that's what this film is about building belonging and building community, healing broken relationships, healing broken hearts. And it's just, it's the, one of the mushiest films I've seen for a long, long time. And it just makes you feel warm. I wanted to turn around to a stranger next, next to me and just give them a cuddle mm. during the middle of this film. It's that kind of movie. You know, uh, the, the previous films that Marielle Heller, who's the director of this movie, has worked on is um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Now, that's a film that we really, really enjoyed last year. Um, and that, again, that had that cynicism in there and it had the empathetic nature as well and, and being able to pull at the heartstrings in, during a film that had a lot of chaotic nature in it. And this did, does, is, is similar in some respects, but themes thematically very different. Um, but you still get that sense of... of Put her putting on that 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 touch of mm. coming together and pulling at the heartstrings, and 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 you as a as an audience learning from what the uh, characters are going through as well. And I think she's a fantastic director, and I can't wait to see what she has next. To be honest with you, yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, Craig, is there anything else you'd like to say about a beautiful day in the neighbourhood, other than the fact that it was? a beautiful film and one that everybody should see. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's still playing in the cinema at the moment as as this goes out, but I still feel like we are or should give do a review um, because of just how brilliant it was. It was nominated for one Oscar and that was with Tom, was it Tom Hanks's nomination? Um, I feel like it could have been and should have been nominated for more Oscars, um, but nonetheless, it was a worthy nomination uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I think without further ado, I'll start off by asking you the question. Craig, a beautiful day in the neighbourhood, is it worth it? Yes, if you can still see this movie, go and see it on the cinematic screen because it is one that uh, enables you to see things from lots of different point of views and even though it's based on a television show, it translates very well to a, a movie. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that it's even it's like behind the scenes of the making of that TV show and that can uh, give you a very cinematic uh, a viewpoint yeah. on, 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 on this. And it's all the themes as well that add up to, to making this a very cinematic and beautifully made film. David, what about you? Is it worth it? Yes, 100% worth it. Brilliant performances from Tom Hanks, Matthew Reese, and Tom Cooper. Um, and just a wonderfully warm Chris heart. Cooper. Chris Cooper, I'm so sorry. It's all right. Um, wonderfully warm, heartfelt film. Uh, one that will just make you want to come out and give give your... It will make you want to knock on your next door neighbour's door and say, hello, neighbour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's true, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. were saying, we discussed this on the way home. You know, the, the sense of community uh, in the UK at the minute seems to be diminishing quite yeah. considerably. You know, people don't do things for each other. And Fred Rogers embodies that sense of community. And he, and he yeah. wants you to go and say hello to your neighbour yeah. or knock on that neighbour's door to borrow some sugar and just sort of... Catch you know, up with them. Catch up with them, and, exactly. And and that is what this film does for me. It made me want to go and, and, and catch up with neighbours that I don't necessarily talk to yeah. or help them in some way and and yeah i mean it's just a it's a great film yeah yeah well well yeah so there you have it that was our review of a beautiful day in the neighborhood 100 percent worth seeing go and check it out yes
So it's now time for our fourth review on week 43 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And I'll be doing this hand solo. What are what am I reviewing? Well, it's underwater. Um, what's this film about? A crew of aquatic researchers work to get to safety after an earthquake devastates their subterranean laboratory. But the crew has more than the ocean seabed to fear. Before I dive into my review, <laughs> literally, um, <laughs> let's take a little listen to a clip. We have about 30 minutes till knockdown. Okay, guys, listen. The escape pods are gone and the sub is out of order. And we're not getting any more radio signals. And the structure of the Kepler is totally unsound. Captain, there better be a good punchline because the setup is... So weak. Weak. We go for the Roebuck. The Roebuck? <laughs> it's a mile down and a mile that way. What are you talking about? Yeah. How would we even get that? We walk we what? Walk. So we just go in the pitch black and we walk without knowing where we're going with insufficient oxygen. That's the plan? That's the plan. Everybody down with that? Nora, you okay with that? The suits can't be down there that long, you know that. Not everyone here is an experienced diver and... That we never know. I, I'm not trying to be... Can you just admit we might die doing that? Yeah. But can you admit that we might live doing this? So I think that's a great clip from the film that dump, that summarises the dangers that they face and their plan of how they're going to escape this, um, you know, compromised rig. 70% of the rig has been compromised. How are they going to get out and how are they going to get back to the surface of the ocean and ultimately um, survive? Um, let's start with the Rotten Tomatoes scores. It gets a disappointing 47% from the critics, uh, a slightly better 60% score from the audience. How does the film start? Well, the film starts with the credits and in the background we have newspaper snippets designed to build tension all about the dangers of the deep ocean, uh, reports of strange happenings um, and the dangers of working in the deep. And during the... um, the credits at the start, they also have lots of MRI scans popping up, which right. is basically designed to build tension to say, look, we don't know the damages that the deep ocean um, has on the human body. And there's lots of ominous stories basically building tension. And there's also this really ominous soundtrack. Mm. Um, and then the camera descends down and it goes down for some time, again, enhancing the tension and giving us an idea of just how deep they are. How deep are they, Craig? Well, in fact, they are working seven miles below the Pacific Ocean on the sea floor in a drilling rig based in the Mariana Trench. Um, and it looks and feels very much like something out of a, a, a space film. It has a very space station um, filmed feel to it. Um, instead of being deep space, though, it's just deep ocean. So would you say it's set in the modern day, but not too distant future sort well, of thing? Or? It's very futuristic, but we're actually given no context um, in terms of when it's set. Hmm. So it it feels futuristic, but what I like about it is we don't know, it doesn't give you a date. What, what we are just given is that feeling of we're being submerged straight down into this action um, with them. Hmm. Um, so I like the fact that we're, we're given no date or context. We're just immediately, boom, submerged straight down with them. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really effective. And once we are submerged, we're um, introduced quite quickly to uh, Christian Stewart's character, who is, in fact, cleaning her teeth. And in the back, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is uh, looking in the mirror. And in the background, we can hear the rig groaning in just this sense of the pressure of the deep ocean. And then she realises that things aren't quite as uh, safe as they seem. And she walks away uh, from the mirror and we just get these shots down these long 
futuristic looking corridors, very much like out of Alien. Mm. And then she puts her hand out and she realises that there's some water dripping down. And this water drips down and hits her hand in slow motion. And that's not condensation. No, that's not condensation. She realises that, oh... There's a breach in the hole. There, there's a breach. And that, that slow motion scene is really effective, actually, because it's almost like the calm before the storm. Mm. And then all hell breaks loose. The rig begins to buckle under the pressure, and it then becomes um, a battle for survival. And this is where the film really begins to play on the fear of the dark, the fear of the unknown. Um, and throughout the film, it has a very uh, claustrophobic feel. Like I said, 70% of this rig has been compromised. But there are a number of survivors, as you heard from that clip. Um, And there's great shots of them crawling through tight spaces, going underwater, then going back into the rig. Um, But the main thing they have to do is go down to the seabed floor, use these very futuristic metal deep diving um, underwater sea suits Mm. to walk across the bottom of the ocean about a mile to another part of the rig where these escape pods haven't been damaged. Um, But, Craig... Yes, David. What soon become what soon becomes evident is that maybe things aren't quite as they seem, and that what caused this damage wasn't in fact an earthquake, but they aren't alone at the bottom of the ocean. Is it the Meg? Uh, no, no. <laughs> it's it's a very similar th- feel to the Meg. That fear of the unknown. Um, now it doesn't get great reviews, as you saw there. Only forty cent, forty six percent from um, the critics. But I actually really quite enjoyed it. Now. In terms of the premise, it's nothing new. This is something that's been done multiple times in space, um, and it's it's not a particularly m- new or f- refreshing idea. The screenplay is very average, and so is so, so are some of the attempts at humour. Um, but overall, I think it's a well-paced, action-packed, and anxiety-inducing film. You know, I really did feel nervous um, and on the edge of my seat during this film. I think Christian Stewart gives another brilliant performance. Uh, she's very, very good. And I think you heard from that clip. She plays the anxiety and the fear of the unknown very, very well. And when they're walking across the bottom of the ocean, mm. they actually have cameras inside of their um, sea suits. Right, okay. So you, it feels very, very claustrophobic. And you can hear her breathing. And then they... They have lights on their suit, but the lights probably only go five or ten meters, and then behind it is just pitch black. And obviously, yeah. as they're moving, the lights shine onto things, and it's just a very, very anxiety-inducing, tense film. The less we see, the better. Um, and the big reveal, so what caused this station to become compromised, um, is ultimately the film's downfall. Very much Do like they reveal, like but in Bird Box. Pardon? Do they reveal it like in Bird Box? Yes. Yeah. Ah. So once you've seen the thing, and that's all I'll say that has caused this uh, rig to become compromised, Mm. some of the element of fear is lost. Right. Um, Great. But overall, I think it's an an effective horror Mm. um, and thriller and an enjoyable piece of science fiction. It's only 90 minutes long. And it is a very action-packed 90 minutes. It's got a very good soundtrack over the top. And like I said, this isn't a film that's going to win many awards. This isn't a film that's going to be popular with critics necessarily because critics will say this is nothing new, this is nothing original. Yeah. Um, But for an audience, I actually, and it does get a 60% from the audience, I really quite enjoyed it. It was an opportunity for me to sit back 
not relax, be put on the edge of my seat and come out with my heart rate increased thinking, do you know what? That was 90 minutes of pretty fast paced, action packed, enjoyable sci-fi. This is probably something that people would more likely enjoy at home, possibly. It's something that people would get a bit more of a kick out watching on Netflix at home. Possibly. I've I've got a real feeling. You know what I mean by this. Do you know when you watch a film and you just think this is made for streaming services? Yes. And some things are just designed to go to streaming services. This is one of them. When this comes out on Amazon Prime or Netflix, probably more likely Netflix, if you want 90 minutes of action-packed cinema, then I would recommend it. Look, I'm going against the critical consensus because it doesn't, it doesn't get an awful score. 46% isn't an awful critic score, but it's not great either. No. But for me, I really enjoyed it. So then, David, underwater, is it worth it? Yes, yeah, I think when this comes out on streaming services, um, it's an anxiety-inducing film. Christian Stewart gives a very good performance, and um, I'm going to go against the consensus and say that this film is worth seeing, um, not only in the cinema, but also at home. So our next review on this week's episode is Emma. Uh, This is Jane Austen's beloved comedy about finding your equal and earning your happy ending. Uh, It's reimagined in this delicious new film adaptation of Emma. Handsome, clever and rich Emma Woodhouse is a restless queen bee without rivals in a sleepy little little town. Get my words out there. In this glittering satire of social class and the pain of growing up, Emma must adventure through misguided matches and romantic missteps to find the love that has been there all along. Let's take a little listen to a clip. Mr Knightley. You must have had a shocking walk. Not at all, sir. It's a beautiful evening. You must have found it very damp and dirty. Dirty, sir? (laughs) Look at my shoes. Not a speck on them. How do you do? I came to wish you joy. Joy? Oh, the wedding. The terrible day. So how did you all behave? Who cried the most? We all behaved charmingly. Everybody was in their best looks. Not a tear and hardly a long face to be seen. Bring the screen a little closer, Mr Knightley. feels a chill. And what of Mr Frank Churchill? Is he every bit as handsome as his father promised he would be? He did not come. So that was a clip from the film there. David, kick us off where you normally kick us off with, of course, with the Rotten Tomatoes. So at the moment, there's no audience score available, but there is a critical score. So 78 critics have reviewed this on Rotten Tomatoes and it comes out with an 88% score, which is very, very solid indeed. Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason why it hasn't got the audience score is because in America, it hasn't come out uh, there yet. It's not coming out until February 21st, uh, which is actually uh, yesterday uh, as as (laughs) we are recording this. But again, there won't be any uh, audience scores coming through on that. I will double check that. Yeah, it's still not there as of yet. Um, Well... With that in mind, with that 88% in mind, we know we're often on a good start there. Yeah. Uh, I went in uh, not really knowing too much about this incarnation of the film, but I obviously know it was written by Jane Austen. And I had very, very many years ago, I mean, mm. that, that 
that those wordings there didn't go very well, did it? But a long time ago, I had watched the Gwyneth Paltrow version, um, but I don't really remember too much about it. And um, so seeing this film, it was almost very fresh to me. Um, and it's it's brilliant isn't it it's 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 hard to find much to to, at fault here with it um i think the acting first of all if we start with that Mm. is is brilliant Uh, and uh, anya taylor joy who plays emma uh really conveys that period drama-esque 19th century feel um uh, of of what you're going to be getting from that character. But at the same time, you almost get these 20, 21st century feel of what the things are at stake at the same time. So obviously with the wealth and having to marry, but you still get that sense that this is a young woman who is out to have her own say on what she does and who she falls in love with and what she does in, in terms of meddling with with the love, other love interests. She's a, a very controlling character. That's what I... I mean, I, again, I went in blind. So I hadn't <laughs> read the, um, the, the Jane Austen novel. Uh, I hadn't seen the previous uh, versions of the film. So I went in completely blind, not knowing hmm. anything. And Emma Woodhouse's character is a very controlling, not horrible, but she likes to manipulate things. So she likes things to be the way that she wants them to be. And yeah. I thought Anna Taylor joy did a really great, um, performance there. Bill Nye was obviously great. We got Mia goth Miranda Hart as well. If we're talking about performances, um, I thought she gave a, a really brilliant performance. One particular scene, um, where she gets her heart broken is one of the, pieces of glue that holds the film together actually a real moving scene josh o'connor's in there as well and johnny flynn as george knightley i thought he gave a a really good performance you know what i would johnny flynn from the previous uh cineworld unlimited ads is that is that who it is yeah so it's not the not the current guy not phil but this is this is the guy who did the previous one oh from wow the year before that yeah, <laughs> a little bit of information for you there. Also, he was in Beast, which was brilliant. Uh, yes, guest, uh, guest starring, uh, starring alongside Jesse Buckley as well. Mm. So he's he's on a upward um, ascent. In, I, into I, films. I thought he was very very good. Indeed, he's also supposed to be playing David Bowie in the uh, upcoming biopic as well. Oh wow. Some uh, some facts with Craig Fields there, but, but no, the the acting's brilliant. What what I also liked about this film is it had great production design, wonderful costumes. I thought it really captured um, the era perfectly. Yeah, um, and the script as well. The script is very very solid, gives the characters plenty of development, and that's one good thing about this film. It has very good character development in terms of the pace. I did find the first third of the film a little bit slow and a little bit clunky. Yeah. It felt like that petrol lawnmower that needed a couple of pulls to get it going but once it got going not only did it cut the grass it cut the grass very nicely indeed (laughs) it's different from your normal food yeah i've gone for a petrol lawnmower analogy but do you know what i mean yeah yeah it took a while to get going and once it did the lawn looked beautiful yeah and as we said in the synopsis, it's it's delicious. And I say delicious because the cinematography and the vivid colour nature of this film is wonderful. And there was yeah. a lot of good food in there as well, actually. Yeah, there was. I was gonna say I thought I thought the we banquets. were gonna, I thought we were gonna have a Craig Field food analogy there. Nah. But it is delicious, yeah. It's the vivid and very over the top and playing on the wealth of of the of the of the era of the, or of these particular characters in the era with these luptuous banquets and you know table service and butlers and yeah i mean what what i didn't get a sense of 
too much was the juxtaposition between the wealth and the poor. The poor seemed to be not too poor, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But in a a comedy kind of way, it was the the wealthy people were looking down at people who are not too bad off and calling them poor. And I think that's actually Jane Austen's sort of satire uh, 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 novel of Emma at play there. You know, they're not changing things up too much there. And I think, you know, there were never ever anybody so considerably poor that they were living on the streets, but they were, you know, well off to some extent, but lacking in some. Yeah, well, one of the characters that, that, that Emma looks down upon is actually a farmer who's obviously making a very honest living and probably making reasonable money. Mm. Um, but that shows that the, the upper, upper classes, the super rich, their idea of poor is very different to your average working class man's idea of poor. Yeah, and I think... And that transitions sorry. between eras as well. That's not just... That's the same today. The super, super rich probably look at certain people and think they're poor when actually other people would look at them and think they're pretty comfortable. Yeah, I mean, again, that is, there is that disparity there between current modern day takes on it if you think about it because you don't tend to see the rich interacting with the poor in that sense these days they have their own they're often society doing their own thing um but with this they do intermingle in some respects and they do get invited to the banquets and they all they all do intermingle but they still look down on each other you know and one in particular is is there's a dance that happens there's like a ball and uh, everybody is going to get up and dance. And there's one young girl in particular who is friends with Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Emma. Um, however, she has been left to sit on the sidelines. And um, what was a really brilliant scene was with Johnny Flynn's character, Mr. Knightley, going over to, to offer her his hand to dance. And I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment moment um, or sentimental moment that transcended that, you know, old school you can't associate yourselves with the, with yeah. the, with the lower class um, and giving you a real sense of the modern day equivalent almost. Um, yeah. I loved it and I really did. And um, yeah, I really did love this film movie. I think it was, it was brilliant. It was very different to what we've seen. I think it had that sort of similar touch to Little Women, but maybe not so much um, in terms of obviously the protagonists. There's, there's a fair few more, uh, you know, men and women on the level here a little bit more. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, Johnny Flynn and Anya Taylor-Joy together br- played it brilliantly. And the comedic moments, they came thick and fast in this movie. And it was very subtle and very nuanced with the humour, but I thought it was brilliant nonetheless. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I was just going to compare it to Little Women uh, and say that I, I'm not sure if the whole overall piece is on par with Little Women. No, I think there's, there's a lot more comedy yeah. in this, but that is Jane Austen's novel. It is a comedy, a, yeah. a satire, whereas Little Women isn't mm. a satire and it's not a comedy, even though there is some humour in there. It's not a comedy, so to speak, as like Jane Austen's comedy from that era. Yeah, um, This was set out to be a comedy and that wasn't. So, yeah. But before we conclude, what I would say is that I knew Craig would like this film. This is a very Craig kind of film. For me, not so much. But I went into it not expecting to enjoy it. And Mm. I actually, it was a bit of a guilty pleasure. I did quite enjoy this film. Is it guilty because you don't normally like it? It's guilty because... Yeah, this kind of kind of film is not something that I would normally watch. If I wasn't doing this podcast, there's no way that I would go and see this film. Mm. It's just not the kind of movie that I would normally watch. And that's the wonder of having your unlimited card now. We yeah. haven't plugged it that much in this show Plug yet. Plug it now! But... You- I- 
<laughs> Excuse me with your language. I'm going to have to beat that up now. Um, it's all right. Um, so with the unlimited card, um, obviously we... We, we've now ended up seeing a lot of films that we wouldn't necessarily see. I mean, we do have our own type of films that we like to watch. Um, and But going to see a, a drama or a period drama like this, it does open your mind and broaden your horizons in, in, film, uh, in, dif- in the different films that are available. Um, we did say that um, Pete also, um, in, within the same email, was talking about Emma. So I'll pick up where he left off with with um, Birds of Prey. And he says, Emma, on the other hand, uh, was a joy to watch, funny throughout, and each character developed across the film in a new way that was different to the Gwyneth Paltrow film. Uh, Josh O'Connor, Bill Nye and Miranda give great supporting roles to Anya Taylor-Joy, who makes the role of Emma her own and is very different to her role in Split and Glass. Yes, very much so. Um, I recommend this on the big screen as some of the subtle comedic nuances may be missed on the smaller screen. Um, Pete hitting the nail on the head there. Um, Yeah, I think this is a... As it's a you, it's open to all audiences as well. And I think... um, you know taking the kids over the half term it's a perfect film for it especially one that you want them to sort of learn a bit more about that period era um but also getting those subtle nuances between the disparity of wealth um it's a really good in some respects a conversation starter with your child yeah um i think that's a really good way of looking at it um so david emma is it worth it Yes, look, I think it's got wonderful costumes, really delightfully charming performances. And overall, um, like Pete says, I think it's worth seeing. And not only is it worth seeing, it's worth seeing in the cinema. Go and check it out. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. I love the film. I won't try and reiterate everything that you said there, but it's one that I would always be uh, uh, appreciative of, of because I like those sort of films. But I think it's open for everybody to go and see. So that was our review of Emma. Okay, it's now time for our penultimate <laughs> review on this week's episode, and it's Doolittle. Wow. Wow. Uh, so, after losing his wife seven years earlier, the eccentric Dr. John Doolittle, played by Robert Downey Jr., uh, famed doctor and veterinarian of Queen Victoria's England, hermits himself away behind the high walls of Doolittle Manor with only his menagerie of exotic animals for company. But when the young queen, played by Jessie Buckley, falls gravely ill, a reluctant Doolittle is forced to set sail on an epic adventure to a mythical island in search of a cure, regaining his wit and courage as he crosses old adversaries and discovers wondrous creatures. The Doctor is joined on his quest by a young, self-appointed apprentice and a raucous uh, uh, coterie of animal friends, including (laughs) an anxious gorilla, an enthusiastic but bird-brained duck, a bickering duo of cynical ostriches and an upbeat polar bear, uh, and a headstrong parrot who serves as Doolittle's most trusted advisor and confidant. Let's take a little listen to a clip. Not here. Uh, Are you all right down there? Yeah, fine. Go on. Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, right. You have been summoned to Buckingham Palace by the Queen herself. Oh, harsh. Go on. You should know she's fallen gravely ill. (coughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Go. 
on. Go on and be gone. I don't care about anyone, anything, anywhere, anymore. The birds will show you out. Right, everything's tidy. Learn to be served in a minute now. Mmm, smells lovely, Doc. Thanks very much. Hey, Doc, save some for us this time. Sorry, Doc. Guess I'm scared of kids, too. Don't worry about that. Come on, let's eat. I'm going to be offering today a brothy soup. You'll never believe what we caught in the net. The Queen has asked for you by name, sir. Are you hard of hearing? I told you, I'm close for business. What business? Treating humans. <laughs> Intruder alert! <laughs> Well, I'm not. My house is descending into chaos. Is it yours? I don't own anybody. You actually had an issue that he came to me with. He's always cold. Yes. Yes, that's right. The trumpet is out for Doolittle because this is an absolute shocker. Where are we going to start? Well, I'll start with the Rotten Tomatoes scores. It gets 14% from the critics. Let me reiterate that. 14%, and I would say that is 14% too many. And from how many critics? 207. So this has got, critically, this has been absolutely panned. It gets a much better audience score at 76%. I'm not quite sure what on earth the audiences were thinking when they gave it, uh, that rating but you know I'll be damned so what can I say about this film well this film is as bizarre as it is bad it's one that may entertain the children but it's one that will leave the adults in the need of a stiff brandy and trust me when I say that you will need to have a drink after <laughs> seeing this film you genuinely leave the theatre questioning your own sanity trying to come to terms with the mess that's just unfolded did what I just witnessed actually happened or was my ploughman's lunch laced with some sort of hallucination Never mind Doolittle. This film is totally Doolally. It really is bad, bad stuff, Craig. I mean, the film begins with Dr. Doolittle mourning the death of his wife following some sort of tragic boating accident. And the first time we see the Doctor, he looks like Tarzan, which is actually quite apt as he's playing chess with a gorilla. Again, don't ask me why. Anyway, the grief-stricken Doctor and heavily bearded Doctor is broken out of his trance by a couple of children who visit his now overgrown home. Um as we heard from that clip, um, one of which is on a mission to save the Queen, who is unwell and seemingly in some sort of coma. Forget the fact, Craig, that she is the Queen of England uh. and must have the best medical treatment money can buy. Apparently, apparently, the only person who can save her is a mentally unstable Welsh veterinarian who looks like Tom Hanks from Castaway. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense at all. Anyway, after a shave and a trip to Buckingham Palace, for some reason on the back of the ostrich, uh, the doctor concludes that the only thing so this is his this is his advice this is the advice of Dr. Doolittle the only thing that can save the dying queen is a magical piece of fruit you know not antibiotics not some sort of you know course of medical action but a magical piece of fruit and it the plot I just swallowed my own tongue again. Not again. again. You need medical advice. I do. Doolittle, come I, I, at I, once. I need Dr. Doolittle to find me some magical fruit it, look it is really awful 
Um, and where do I start with it? Well, let's start with Robert Downey Jr. Look, he is a brilliant actor. He's been fantastic in a number of films, but he is truly terrible in this. I mean, yes, he is. Um, can we just start with, let me say something, because you've just ranted on for a while there. This was painful to watch. Mm. So painful. Everything about it was just wasteful. I mean, Jessie Buckley, what a fantastic actress she is, but she spent most of the time sleeping in bed. Yeah. Okay. Robert Downey Jr., he just sounded like somebody else was voicing him and they yeah. just overdubbed it over the top again or that or he needs some sort of voice coach to help him through this because that was not a Welsh accent it was I don't know what it was it just it was terrible wasn't it was it? very bad I don't know what was going on with the source material here I don't know whether they adapted it well or not but the the vast worlds of which this is supposed to be set in just seem so incredibly small mm. and the passage of time just seemed to be not visible at all throughout this film it was so clunky things were happening from one instance to another and then it just it was just all over the place I just didn't understand any of it no, it was really, really bad. Like I said, it, the accent was almost like somebody doing an impression of Tom Hanks, uh, of um, Tom Jones, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> not Tom Hanks. It was like somebody doing an impression of Tom Jones mm. after some seriously dodgy dental work because <laughs> it just sounded, it didn't sound Welsh at all. It sounded a mixture of Welsh, Australian, South African. But it didn't It didn't fit with no. him speaking. So it's, it looked like it was out of time. Yeah, it, it really did look like it was out of time. I mean, one thing I wanted to say is this film is terrible, but just listen to some of the people who are actually in this film. You know, yeah, well, you've got it up there, but you're struggling with it there. But you, Robert Downey Jr., we know we've got in it. But then you've got Tom Holland, haven't you? Yeah, you've got Robert Downey Jr., Antonio Banderas, Michael Sheen, Emma Thompson, Rami Malek, John Cena, Tom Holland, Craig Robinson, Ray Fiennes, Selena Gomez, Marion Cotillard, Jim Broadbent, Jesse Buckley. I mean... Just to name a few. Just to name a few. <laughs> and it's very much like Cats. None of them can save this film. The plot is dire. It's so convoluted and all over the place. The CGI animals, again, they should be cute, but you don't feel any sort of connection to them at all. You've got a, a polar bear that's constantly cold, even though he's not in the Arctic. In the, you, know in the what, North you know what? I don't mind that. I don't mind that fact. What I do Why mind, is he cold, Craig? I, I don't know. That's Why do is he to find. Because he's cold. But he, Why? The, I don't know. But the point is, the point is that the plot in terms of where it goes from point A to point B to point C is just irrelevant. And yeah. it's, just, it's just boring. I was yeah. bored. Yeah. I just didn't get why things were happening. I mean, the bit where he goes to diagnose the Queen and he simply looks in a book and says, you need this piece of fruit. Mm. And it's like, Why? This is the piece of magical fruit that is guarded by a mythical creature in a land, land far away that nobody knows if it actually exists or not. Which, when he finally gets there, is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, can we say the mythical creature is basic? I'm going to say what it Just is. Just do it. Um, it is a dragon that has a pair of bagpipes stuck up its bottom. <laughs> that is that is honestly the the mythical creature that is guarding this mythical piece of fruit that is the only thing that can possibly but it's heal not the just queen. A pair of bagpipes or a bagpipe. It's, it's armor in it's there. It's armory. It's there's there's a whole armory in there. There's 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 fruit. There's tin cans. <laughs> there's a, a, a kettle. There's a, a, some sort of firewood. There's there's oh, firewood. I, I don't know. There's just so much paraphernalia coming out the bottom of a dragon. Yeah. And then once he's removed all of that, a lot of gas escapes, and mm. then she's like, "Thanks for that." 
you can have that so, fruit. Yeah, so th- no, this dragon will not let anyone pass for the fruit. But because Dr. Doolittle is a doctor, he says, oh, yes, well, there's something wrong with you, I think. So he, oh, let me prod you here and let me prod you there. Oh, that's a pair of bagpipes. Ah, oh, there we go. And the dragon's like, oh, that's brilliant. I feel so much better. <laughs> you may now come in and get this piece of magical fruit. And then they seem to get this piece of fruit and get back to the queen in like the click of a finger. I, I don't know what was going on with this film. It was, and the thing is, Craig, is mm. people may have laughed listening to our review. I don't know, but it, it, it isn't funny. None of it's funny. So when the, the, the dragon breaks wind, it's not funny. And I was in a, a packed full cinema mm. full of children and nobody was laughing. I thought this film was absolutely shocking. I think there will be some children that will find it entertaining, but for the for the adults going to see it and the majority of children that go and see it will just not enjoy it whatsoever. I thought a lot some of the acting was pretty terrible in the mm. film as well. Uh, not least Robert Downey Jr., who is generally a spectacular actor from yeah. time to time. Um, but again, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Doolittle David, anything else to say, or should we just say whether it's worth it or not? Uh, no, I think we've summarised it, but you can ask me the question: Is it worth it? Absolutely not. This is a terrible, terrible movie with pretty bad acting, bad voiceovers, bad CGI, bad plot, um, bad humour, just bad, bad, bad. Yeah. Craig, do little. Is it worth it? No. We've now come to the end of the show with our final review, which is Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, yes. Uh, So what is this film about? Well, Sonic the Hedgehog is a live action adventure comedy based on the global blockbuster video game franchise from Sega that centers on the infamously brash, bright blue hedgehog. The film follows the misadventures of Sonic as he navigates the complexities of life on Earth with his newfound human best friend, Tom. Sonic and Tom join forces to try and stop the villainous Dr. Robotnik uh, from capturing Sonic and using his immense powers for world domination. Now let's take a little listen to a clip. So, as I crashed into the cold, dark water of the Pacific, I realized a few things. A, I have no idea where I'm going. B, saltwater stings. See, I shouldn't even be on this planet right now, but I am. Why? Because you shot me. I know. You shot me! All right, I heard you the first time. You don't have to pile it on. Good grief. I'm wet. I'm cold. There's a fish on my head. And clearly, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. All right, get in the truck. Really? You're going to help me? I guess it is a little bit my fault that all this is happening to you. Not a little bit, entirely. It is entirely your fault. It's entirely my fault. Are you coming? Yes. Road trip! Whoop whoop! So that was a clip from Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, I'm going hand solo if I hadn't actually told you guys that yet, because David (laughs) didn't see this one as well as I didn't see Underwater. So, um, 
Let's start off with the Rotten Tomatoes here. So 64% from critics, 94% from the audience. There's about 11, over 11,000 uh, audience ratings on there and only 175 from the critics. Now, this film, um, for those of you who have played the video game, the concept here is rather clear. Sonic is an alien hedgehog from with the ability to run fast. I mean, like really, really fast, uh, which is a bit of a paradox, seeming as a hedgehog is actually relatively slow in nature. <laughs> But uh, nonetheless, Sonic and his blue fur um, unexpectedly end up on Earth. And for years, he's sort of left alone, mainly because he moves so fast that nobody actually notices him, except for that one guy who everyone thinks is crazy. <laughs> and the dialogue at times is really completely woeful. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure what I expected here, to be honest with you. Um, the film is evidently for children and big fans of Sonic. And for those, it certainly hits home. Um, I felt like a child again from time to time. I remember going to Safeways. Yes, Safeways, the old supermarket store where your oh, mum wow. and dad may have put you in the crash there. Um, <laughs> they certainly put me and my brother in the crash there. And, Such a um, 90s thing, a it, crash at a supermarket. Yes, um, and they had a Sega Mega Drive there and they had Sonic oh, on it and I used wow. to play that loads um but other than that there was a lot of times where i used to watch the cartoon and other things so i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a huge fan of sonic you yeah. swallow my tongue there myself um but i i did enjoy the playing the games and watching the cartoons um and this film it genuinely had me laughing at some of the most ridiculous moments within the film and i thought sonic is um you know he's a, he's a genuine fan of all the cult classic things and there's lots of nods to that within the film and i really liked that touch that they put in there um but it's it's flawed massively flawed um but I still think James Marsden in this film, who plays Tom, he's in his element playing the good citizen, tough guy kind of persona. And the relationship between himself and the CGI character of Sonic is one that's able to pull at the heartstrings uh, from time to time. And it is somewhat believable. Um, ben Schwartz plays Sonic uh, or plays does the voice of Sonic. As I said, James Marsden uh, plays Tom. Jim Carrey is Dr. Robotnik. I think Jim Carrey is the best part of this film. Jim Carrey is the best part of most films, yeah. but he plays Dr. Robotnik. I was going to say sensationally there, but <laughs> he plays it with absolute class. He is Venom. brilliant. He is a villain and he is a villain with absolute um, perfect timing, perfect um, technical technicalities in terms of the technical abilities of Dr. Robotnik. He, he just nails every part of it. And I thought it was great. The soundtrack was great as well. Lots of really good music going on in there, um, woven throughout. I took um, a lot of children to go and see this movie and they all were laughing at the best bits. They were all enjoying this film very much so. Um, something that some of you should be aware uh, when the first trailer dropped for this movie the world kind of stopped in utter shock um i was deeply shook um they had made sonic look far too real in features and he just sort of no longer resembled our favorite blue hero whatsoever the world kind of cried out for a change they were going please please will you <laughs> they all pleaded will you change sonic back to how he's supposed to look and, uh, you know, even those people who sort of do not even care for Sonic that much, probably yourself, David, if you'd seen the trailer. I signed you... the petition. Exactly. Um, it was just Blame. complete sacrilege. Um, but for once, the team listened to the uh, the fans and the yeah, audience. Yeah, and yeah. they changed the way Sonic looked for the better. And it was 
a nostalgic trip from start to finish and it flooded my heart with genuine warmth for a kid's film with a, a CGI character that totally looked CGI'd. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It was entertaining. Um, it wasn't brilliant. Like, as I said, the script was quite woeful at times, but it still worked immensely well. Yeah, I put a tweet out saying we were about to record in the studio and did anyone have any comments? And Richard Memzak um, tweeted us just saying, Sonic was excellent. Just repeat that over and over. <laughs> so well, Sonic yeah. was excellent. Sonic was excellent. Sonic was excellent. There you go, Richard. Um, that's your tweet read out on the show. Um, it, it does get a very solid 94% score from the from the audience, Craig. So it's obviously a film that people enjoyed. It plays on the nostalgia and they've got the, the Sonic's look perfectly right. And I think that's all anybody really wanted from this movie. It was just pure, pure nostalgia. Um, so whether I thought this was worth it or not. Let me ask you the question. Craig, Sonic the Hedgehog. Was it worth it? Yes. What is it worth it? Sorry. Was it worth it? What is it worth it? Yes, <laughs> it's worth going to see in the, in, in the cinema. And I think during the half-term period, over the weekends, this is the perfect film to go and take your kids to go and see, or yourself, if for that matter of fact. I think it's a, a really, really brilliant film. Craig. Oh, sorry. We've now come to the end of the show. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, um, that was a brilliant review. I really enjoyed that review, so oh. very well done. Well made me want to see it now go and see it then uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening to week 43 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Now, as many of you have, uh, may have noticed, we've been putting lots and lots of content out for you all to listen to. Uh, we've uh, we've been on it. We really have been on it. Yeah. Um, we've released our second episode of Topical Talk, a new series where we take a look at uh, lots of different genres or themes and discuss the movies that we believe are the best. Only one is chosen at the end of the year, each episode, and at the end of the year we'll have 12 movies movies to recommend from those chosen themes or genres Uh, i'm also thinking of giving this away as a prize uh, a box set of all 12 movies what do you think about that i think that is a fantastic 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 idea i wasn't aware of that but go you i think that's a great idea Uh, we've also released a star wars special which was uh, released on wednesday the 19th of february so if you're a fan of star wars or just simply want to know what we think of the overall saga then take a listen to myself ranjit and kyle delve headfirst into that or if you're a big fan of the Oscars and want to get to know our opinion of the big awards then listen to Road to the Oscars End of the Road with myself Craig and Floss Uh, the team are also working really hard on a new special episode for Independent Women's Day uh, celebrating the best Uh, of the best in forward-thinking women from directors to the actresses that have changed film or challenged the norm and I'm really looking forward to helping produce that one and finally Cinema at Home will be back with Ranjit in the hot seat uh, and can't wait for Ranj to be back really looking forward to uh, Cinema at Home coming back Uh, look out for that one yeah Uh, finally and a big shout out to all our current Patreon supporters you've opened up more doors for us than you could possibly ever know Uh, and if you're a regular listener and want to hear more of the above then you can donate a small amount of your money which goes right back into making uh, the podcast uh david you've just got someone to join the patreon yes, so a big big shout out and a big thank you to stephen church who has become our latest patreon supporter we really appreciate your support it's going a long way to help us to continue to do what we love to do so a big shout out to stephen church thank you so much for becoming a patreon supporter we hope you enjoy um, the shows uh, we're in the process of bringing some awesome stuff to the patreon account like exclusive content uh, and also some other goodies that we're going to be giving away for certain tiers uh, there's lots of content being produced in the background and we really can't wait to share it all with you
you. Um, if you want to get in touch uh, with us, uh, you can do so via email. The email address is mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. That's mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. The social media accounts can be found on the website, which is... Is it worth it? Podcast.com? Yep. <laughs> well, you done. literally threw that at me. I, I was, did. I'm I sorry. hate it when you do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but yes, that is the place to find all of the social media accounts. Um, and I don't know if there's anything else to say, really. We really got that quite succinct didn't yeah we? we have yeah just obviously a big thank you to pete who dropped us an email we do ah, love yes. your emails do tweet us do facebook us do email us um and we will read them out on the show yeah so without further ado thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you again soon yes goodbye, goodbye thank you dutty bye good boo goodbye cheerio now